Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Thursday, February 25th. And this is the program, in case you're new to us, this is where we provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and your life. I wrote that about five years ago. Yeah, it probably still holds true. I'm Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst. I'm a certified financial planner, and uh, I am here with my partner, Mark Talercio. He is the executive producer, the best executive producer in the world, and we are trying to help navigate your financial journey. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to be there for you. So if you wouldn't mind to help us get you on the right path, just send us a question, and you can do that via email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. And if you're on our website, if you're on the JillOnMoney.com website, we've got a contact button and there's all sorts of great content right there for you. So check it out. Okay, let's see. What do we got here? We got John who writes, Hi, Jill. I've always heard and understand the reasoning for having stock funds in Roths and bond funds in traditional IRAs. Do you agree? Well, okay. So the theory is that, first of all, anything that produces income is good to have in an either a traditional or a Roth, okay? Uh, because the money that comes in, whether it's a distribution from a retirement account, if it's a dividend from a stock, it's a dividend from a bond mutual fund, it's an interest payment from an individual bond, it doesn't get taxed. The theory here is that you put anything that generates a lot of income into retirement so you don't have to pay ordinary income on the money you receive. The difference of having bond funds in a traditional versus stock funds in a Roth, I guess, would be that Roth money would be the last money you accessed, has the longest life in terms of being able to just sort of hang out there for as long as possible. And maybe you never even touch it which makes it a great asset to uh, leave to your heirs. But I don't really go nuts about this stuff. I mean, I think it's okay, but I, I wouldn't go nutty 
doing a lot of exchanging and it's okay. And, and, and if you wanted to do it, it's okay. But essentially um, your question that says, if I make trades on the same day, getting the end of day price, it will be a wash and no problem. However, once I had an unexpected waiting period for accessing a fund after purchase, I don't know all the details. I'm just not a huge fan of doing a lot of these, the, the engineering of these accounts, maybe to what end? I wonder if you could just simply make the allocation a little bit tilted in that direction by your new money that goes in. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, but also don't go crazy with the whole thing. Uh, Rena applied for a debt consolidation loan and says, I was approved for $12,000, the interest rate 28%. Oh my God. Okay. The question is, the debt consolidation loan was approved. The interest rate is 28%. It, if she takes the money, all of her credit cards would be paid in full. What should I do? Uh, I don't like 28%. What is the current cost of your, your outstanding debt? I mean, it cannot be more than 28%. I don't think I would do this. It doesn't sound like it makes sense to me. Lucy writes, she and her husband recently had a baby. And they're considering buying a larger home. They owe 200 grand on the current home. They think they could sell it for about 700. New home, 850. And they're considering holding on to the current home for rental property because they live in a resort community in Colorado. Hmm, interesting. They could make, oh my God, they could make, listen to this, Mark, twelve to $20,000 a year in profit. That's after the mortgage. However, I knew there was a however. This was already too good to be true. We barely have enough in savings to make the down payment on the new home, putting us in a risky situation. Hmm. Because if they do that, then the down payment on the new home would deplete their savings. If they sell their current home, they could use some of the profit to add a bathroom to the new house. Hmm. A little more about our financial situation. I'm 35. My husband's 40. We've got one kid, dual income. We make about $200,000. We're debt-free except my grad school loan, just 20 grand left on that. We've got 10,000 in a money market, 90,000 in retirement combined between Roth IRAs and a 403B. And my husband has a pension account. What do you suggest? I think you got to sell. You know what I'm going to say. You already wrote that. I don't know. Mark is, is suggesting something that maybe, okay, the most prudent thing to do if you're going to do this, go at alone is to sell the house, take the money and really put yourselves in a better situation financially. However, 12 grand a year is pretty darn, I mean, a thousand dollars a month profit in after your mortgage is pretty compelling on the low end. Well, I always do the low end. So what I would say is this. If you're on your own and this is all the money you have in the world, you don't have a choice. You're going to have to sell the house. However, do you have family that might be able to help you with a down payment on your current home? Maybe you could do that. And if you said, for example, I mean, there's a couple of things you really, I mean, it depends how much you really, I, I, I'll tell you how you could probably do this. You could probably lever up the current home and refinance it. Maybe you should just stay where you are. I'll tell you the truth. You know, you could probably lever it up and get some extra money and use that to put a down payment down. But I don't know. They don't have that much money saved. Well, 20 grand a year would help, but I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with it. Mark wants you to at least, if you have the chance to get some money from a family member, then potentially you might be able to get the help with the down payment and you could make it work. But there's risk involved. 
the least amount of risk you have to pass up that income, poor you, is to sell the house, to put down your 20%, to pay off your outstanding grad school loan, to beef up your emergency reserve fund, and to now have a much better liquid base of investments. That's really the best. But don't look back because, you know, if you do that and you find out that, you know, I could be making 30 grand a year in profit, you'll drive yourself crazy. But you are where you are or just stay where you are, by the way. Okay. This is from Elaine. Oh my God. We've gotten this question over and over. And so we're just going to keep saying it. Elaine, the COVID relief, the stimulus money, it is not income to you. So do not worry about it. That's easy one. Thanks, Mark. Give me a nice, easy one. Here's a harder one. Okay. This is from John. I'm a new fan. I started listening to your podcast recently, and I have a couple of questions regarding my 24-year-old special needs child who cannot take care of himself. My wife and I have conservatorship on him. In order to maximize his benefits, we charge our special needs son monthly rent of $400. Are we supposed to pay tax on this rent? I think you are. You should probably, you're going to have to talk to an attorney about this and someone who knows about special needs. And so I think that's important that you do that. But um, let's move on here. The second question is he's covered under their health insurance. He also has state Medicaid. John's retired and he's got health insurance from his employer, which is a retirement benefit. He's 24 and a half when he turns 26. He would not be covered under my health insurance. When I turn 62, should I apply for Social Security benefits so he can be covered under Medicare? Uh, John, here's what I think you should do. I think you need a lawyer. I think you really should talk to an attorney who specializes in special needs cases. The reason why is, you know, first of all, this is usually an estate issue as well. You need to understand what form you need to take in terms of how you're going to manage your affairs on his behalf. You might need a special needs trust. And I am not an expert in this. And I would, I, I much prefer you having a, uh, an opinion with someone who really knows what they're talking about. I'm just wondering in general, though, I would think if he has state Medicaid, why he just wouldn't keep that. You don't get Medicare until you're 65. Even if you can apply early, if you could get early benefits for Social Security, that's for income. That's not for Medicare. Medicare, you always have to wait till you're 65. Okay. And the last question from Michelle. Uh, question. <laughs> this is a very broad question. Would precious metals in an IRA be good for a couple who's over the age of 65? We've been talking a lot about precious metals because I've been kind of considering precious metals and Bitcoin this similar kind of asset class, which is an illiquid asset that essentially has um, no clear way to ascertain value. It's just based on supply and demand. So, you know, if you wanted to have a small percentage of your portfolio, maybe up to 5% in some of that, you know, sort of out there, riskier type of investments and think of it as a um, an investment in or an insurance policy against market Armageddon. Sure, but no more than 5%. You know, you don't have to have anyone do that for you. You can always just add a precious metals fund to your mix. It's very easy to do. Um, okay. I wouldn't suggest that for everyone, uh, but if you're dying to put money in precious metals, says the former silver trader, go ahead. Good luck. Very dangerous stuff though. 
Mark says that this is the soundtrack of New York, so maybe I'll just keep doing my outro while we have a little siren. My window is open on a snowy day because in New York, it is always hot in apartments. So I'm wearing a T-shirt. It's freezing cold out. It is snowing like crazy. And I'm wearing a T-shirt with the window open because I'm on the 12th floor. So there you have it. I hope you have a great day and I hope that you uh, wash your hands, that you wear your masks, that you maintain your physical distancing and that you lift someone up. It will make you feel so much better. It will make that person feel better. It really, it's good stuff. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. He composed it just for us and we are distributed by Cadence 13. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow and it will be so happy because it'll be Friday, which really just feels like every other day of the week these days. Have a great day. We'll talk to you in the morning.